What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss. So excited to be kicking off Season 4 of the Leadership Excellence Podcast with retired Sergeant Major Tony Mackey of the Australian Regular Army. His, his leadership is top-notch. It's as good as it gets. This episode, so many incredible, valuable lessons. I know I learned several things during this episode. You're going to love it. Before we get going, have you heard of the LinkedIn Advantage? If you're on LinkedIn, if you're looking to become an established thought leader, if you're looking to grow your network from where you are to where you want to be, it's worth checking out. It's a five-module course. I partnered with marketing and LinkedIn expert Simon Parsons to bring this thing to life. It's available online. The modules have several lessons in them. You can work at it at your own pace. And we did a free live event where Simon shared his three very good, insightful tips really around storytelling and the power of, of becoming magnetic. And so that's free as well. So we'll put that in the link. You can check that out, see if you're interested. If not, no big deal. All right, let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals, organizations, and communities rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss. Today, we're joined by Tony Mackey. He joins us from Australia. First time we have ever had an Australian leadership expert on the show. We're going to dive into that in a second, where he's currently the national defense lead for McMahon Services and the founder of InSync Management Solutions. Tony's leadership was grown and developed with the Australian regular army. Since retiring from the military, he's held numerous leadership positions in the public and private sector. We've been following each other on LinkedIn now, I think for a couple of years about two weeks ago, he shared a post with some very valuable leadership lessons and strategies in it that he learned in the military. He called them the three R's. He'll tell us what they are in just a second. Tony, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. G'day, Danny. It's uh, fantastic to be here on your podcast. Uh, as you said, we've been following each other on LinkedIn for quite a while now, and uh, it's really good to be able to uh, to talk with you on your podcast and share some insights uh, from my leadership experience with your listeners. Uh, we're, we're so excited to have that, especially as I, as I just said in the intro, you are the first leadership expert we've spoken to from Australia. And you said something off air that, that a lot of times maybe Australians know some or, or a decent amount or perceptions at least about the United States. You've been to the United States, uh, but people in the U.S. might not know or understand as much about Australia and some differences there. You want to walk through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, I've been to the States, not for a while now, uh, pre-COVID. Um, love to get back there now that things have opened up a bit more. Uh, but one of the things I, I did identify is that I, I believed um, that I knew a fair bit about the States. And, uh, and to some extent, I think that was correct. Um, but I think over time, uh, having been over in the States, that I realised that um, you know there, there are a lot of things I didn't know. But there are a lot of synergies between uh, our two countries. So, for example, we share the same sorts of values and beliefs. Um, you know, we have a respect for the international rule of law. Uh, we're both Western liberal democracies. Um, but some of the things that people probably don't understand or realise are that, uh, you know, for example, um, 17% or thereabouts of Australia's gross domestic imports come from the US. Um, you know, the, the US is our largest trading partner. Uh, you know, Australia is um, great friends with the US. We've been allies for many, many years. We've fought in, you know, many of the same conflicts together. And we really treasure that friendship and that camaraderie that exists between our two countries. And um, I, I know in June this year, Caroline Kennedy was uh, appointed as the ambassador to Australia. 
um, you know, she's obviously a, an icon within the uh, you know the the American uh, uh, people, and um, and you know I think correspondingly our former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd has now been appointed as the uh, ambassador to the US. So you know these are significant appointments, and uh, and I think that just goes to uh, to sort of evidence the uh, the relationship that our two countries have, and from that I think we also have significant um, correlations between the way that we we lead. You know, both of our countries, um, we've uh, didn't start the same way, but we've grown up in similar ways. And uh, and I think our ideologies and our um, our approaches to uh, to societal issues and the like are very similar, and we lead in very similar ways. You know, I'm interested to to dive into that, and especially it seems like, and I'm going to ask you about it in a second. The your time in the military, your development in the military, moving through leadership positions there has had a significant impact on your leadership. And I'm always interested because they say that in the U.S., they talk about the military having some of the best leadership development programs in what they say is the world. I'm sure they're proud of it. I'm wondering if it's the same in Australia. But I, I, I will say the images I've seen of Australia and you know the Olympics and Sydney and those things, just absolutely beautiful. I hope one day to, to get there to get there myself. So do you want to start by kind of giving us a high-level overview of, of your background, of your leadership background, and, and maybe some of the bigger influences you've had on, on the leader you become today, because I just love the insights and the perspective and the strategies that you're sharing on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. So I enlisted in the army straight out of school at 17 years old. Uh, that was back in uh, January, 1988. Uh, and I served 21 years in various sort of, I guess, technical logistics, project management and leadership roles. And I discharged in 2008 as a warrant officer class one, which is the equivalent to a sergeant major in the uh, in the U.S. Army. Uh, since then, I've held you know, various um, other public and private sector leadership positions. I was the chief of staff and head of the office of the CEO for a, a government agency for a half a dozen years. Uh, I've been a project director and business unit leader for a national uh, project management firm. Uh, I was a gun runner for a short period of time. That is to say, I was um, I was hired to be the uh, the divisional head for a local weapons manufacturer and uh, supplier for military weapons. Uh, I was then the national defence lead for uh, the fourth largest defence prime in Australia. Um, sorry, that's not quite correct. I was the national defence business development lead, uh, and then after that, um, you know, I've since become the uh, the national defence lead for a construction company. So all up, I guess I've spent about 35 years in the, um, you know, in some way or another in leadership positions. In 2014, I started Instinct Management Solutions, uh, which is primarily a, a leadership and management consultancy. And I started the business because I noticed that there were some significant differences between the way leadership was being demonstrated in the civilian world compared to what I had, you know, sort of experienced in the military. And, um, and I think... Uh, for me, it was really about the deliberate nature of the training that, that is given to leaders in the Defence Force at all levels. So whether that's, you know, um, soldiers transitioning from being a private to a corporal or a sergeant or a warrant officer or, uh, or from, you know, the junior ranks of the, the officer stream where they're lieutenants, captains, majors, colonels and so on. It's a very de deliberate process, whereas in the civilian world, it, it tends to be um, that you are identified as, as um, an effective person because of, because of your technical skills. And then uh, over time, 
you're, uh, you know, promoted into a slightly more senior management position and then you end up in a leader, leadership position. Uh, and there's not necessarily that, that education and growth in that leadership space. Uh, and I think this is where the, the main difference lies. Yeah, something that, that I found and seen and, you know, I came up on the police department. I was on the department for 21 years, the Dixon Police Department. And it, it's funny, like your, your training began when your new role began. I remember when I became detective three years in, they gave me a detective badge. And I later found that when I put it on, it was supposed to fill me up with all this knowledge that I was supposed to have, and it didn't. And so you, there's a lot of mistakes and learning curves and different things that happen along the way that, that aren't necessarily the case. And then um, a good friend of mine talked about this concept uh, the transition from the leaderboard, the leadership. And just because you're at the very top of your game on your technical skills or in your job, doesn't mean that's going to transition to your new job. Cause your new job isn't about doing the job. It's about taking care of the people that do the job. And so this whole idea, and, and it's interesting how, you know, now in your, your private company that, that you own, how you're helping bridge that gap. And we share a big passion in that area. What, what do you think's the biggest gap uh, when people make that transition, what's the that needs to be filled right away? Uh, I think it's it's around understanding that um, there are two things that you are trying to achieve. One is um, to get tasks and activities completed so that you can have a successful business, and uh, and the second thing, which is probably the more important thing, is the approach to doing that, which is that you need you know human centered uh, leadership style that allows um, those who are in your charge to um, have the best uh, resources and guidance and support that they can possibly have in order to achieve those those things that make the business successful. I mean, there's I have no illusions about the fact that business needs to be successful. Otherwise, um, all those people that you're looking after don't have jobs. So, uh, but as a leader, you've got that dichotomy where you have to look after the business and look after the people. And the best way to look after the business is to get the best people and to train the people, to mentor the people, to coach the people, um, to support the people and to really look after them. If you look after their interests, they look after yours. And that might sound in some ways, you know, selfish. Maybe it is a little, but at the end of the day, that's what, you know, breeds success. And uh, and if you do it with honesty and sincerity and authenticity, then, um, then it's a real... Um, great relationship that you have with uh, with those people in your charge just pure 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 gold right there it's you know and it's funny but anybody who does it from an unauthentic space quickly finds out how much work it is and can be because leadership is so much about sacrifice i often say it's not for the faint of heart um you know and and consciously putting people and their needs and the business and its needs in front of your own interests and motivations is pretty tough. And I, I personally believe it's abnormal human behavior, which is why the training and specific mindsets and values and being clear on those things are, are so, so important. So I wanted to transition and talk to you about the three R's that you learned in the military that really helped drive leadership, people, organizational success. Could you share what each of those are and then could we go into each of them individually or could you give some context to them? Yes, sure. Uh, I guess we're not we're not actually taught the three R's per se. Um, uh, the three R's was something that I actually 
um, learnt about when I left the military and had a realisation that that was just the way we did it. Um, it was something that was characterised by um, a, a former brigadier, um, Nicholas Jans, in a book that he wrote called The Leadership Secrets of the Australian Army. And when I read it, I, I, I almost had a light bulb moment of, oh, that's how we do it. Um, so we, we really employ what we call this captain coach style of leadership in the military. And that is to say that you're both um, coaching and leading your people uh, and, and also directing them and guiding them. And, uh, and it's a, yeah, an analogy with a sports team where you're both the captain and the coach. Um, so the, the three R's approach is really, um, you know, focusing in on a simple three word way of remembering how to um, manage and lead your team. So the three R's are representing, relating and running the team. So representing is all about the behaviours, attitudes, values that the team expects to see in their leader. The relating part is around relating to, and I'll go through these in, in much more detail later, but it's about relating to the members of the team in order to make them believe in themselves, both as individuals and as team members, and then running the team so as to make working with the leader intrinsically rewarding and productive. So that's sort of the, the basis of it. Okay. So I'm just writing something down here just so I don't, because I find this, this relate to the team members, like the team members believe in themselves and the team. How powerful is that when people not only believe in themselves, believe in the team, but this whole feeling of working with the leader and feeling um, rewarded, feeling good about that. And then to represent when you talk about and break down the behaviors, attitudes, and values. So let's start with, with represent. When, when, yeah, so, go ahead. Well, representing the team is arguably the most important of the three R's. So representing the team really has two aspects to it. And the first is to re represent the team by being a role model for what good leadership looks like for the team. Um, you know, people will emulate a good leader or a bad leader. So make sure you, you role model good leadership. The second is to represent the team by advocating for them. So you're quite often going to be, as the leader, you're going to be out the front speaking on behalf of, of the team with other senior leaders and maybe the public or whomever. So you really have to be advocating for the team. So, you know, the team really looks for a leader that they can believe in, somebody that's worthwhile following, right? So if you don't give them a reason to follow you, ultimately they won't. Um, you have to be someone who has confidence, competence, good character, and the integrity, you know, or an integrity worthy of representing them and giving them direction, or well, they won't follow you. You know, it's also about representing the team. Um, it's the way that, that you build trust with your team by representing them, you know. So, and that, that trust is in you, not only, um, you know, that personal level, but also that you can deliver the outcomes that they need and that you'll do the right things for them or buy them. Um, you know, you also have to have the ability to represent the team effectively um, so that, I guess, in a manner that can potentially compensate for any of the other things that you don't do well. You know, so, for example, if you don't do the other uh, two R's well, um, representing the team is one of the ways that will really help to... Uh, to make the team believe in you, believe that you believe in them, 
and, uh, and, and it's really, really powerful. So you talk about a leader they can believe in huge when, when you talk about representing effectively, um, them having, you having confidence and competence that leads to them having confidence and confidence in you, character and integrity, doing the right things by and for them. I think about having people's back, picking them up and dusting them off. If they fall down, if you don't know the answers, being able to get the answers, provide the support. And then I also think about, especially when you have different divisions within companies, you, you really have to do a good job of representing that team, telling that team's story, champion that team, driving home the importance of it because each team within a company, while you, you don't want them competing, are competing for the limited resources of the company and being able to get people the tools and resources and the training uh, to be effective is is so important. This this whole concept and idea of the leader being a role model, and and you're, you you just hit something there that's just it's just a home run, just like dead center. People will emulate the good or they will emulate the bad, and so what we represent as leaders has such a, a profound impact on our team. Yeah, we we have a saying in the uh, Australian military um, that the behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept. Wow. You know, so which is pretty powerful. Um, the reality there is that uh, it's also the the behavior that you demonstrate is the behavior that you promote. So if you promote bad leadership or bad behavior, uh, you're really uh, setting the scene for your troops or your your followers that it's okay to you know bend or break the rules or to act out or to be you know uh, demonstrate poor behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice, nice dive into the essential elements of representing some of the things there, what it looks like, some examples. Love that. The behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept. The behavior you demonstrate is the behavior you promote. Two things. I wrote that down. Two things that are very, very important. Let's talk about number two. Let's talk about relate. Yeah, to lead, the leader must be able to relate to the team, you know, in a way that makes them feel like they matter as individuals, but also as a team. So yeah, this is really, really, really important. Um, the leader has to demonstrate that he or she values the team, you know, and values their contributions, you know. Um, it, this is what helps to, to grow their self-belief um, and their willingness to take responsibility. Um, it also reduces um, something known as learned helplessness, you know, by, by helping the team to understand that, that you trust them, you know, through that representing piece, but also, um, you know, it allows them to have the confidence to and the self-belief to do things on their own. Um, I guess relating also extends to um, understanding your team's strengths and weaknesses, their fears, and the sorts of things that really drive them to succeed, what's important to them. You know, you have to relate to those things as well. Um, and it also means that you know your team at a personal level. And um, as we spoke earlier, this can be really, really challenging. It can be hard to maintain the right amount of sort of uh, metaphorical professional distance or proximity, whichever, you know, you want to, whichever way you want to look at that. Um, because... There is a fine line that you can cross between leading or being a leader and being a friend. Now you want to be, you want to have a, a personal relationship with people that you lead, but you also want to be careful that you don't um, cross that line where uh, you can be influenced uh, 
in a bad way by people. You can make the wrong decisions based on your friendships. You have to have the integrity to do what's right by the team. Um, and, and that means that you have to be able to draw that hard line between your leadership and your friendship. And it can even be worse because in some, in some environments, you can cross that line and it can lead to, you know, inappropriate levels of relationships that could be, you know, financial, it could be um, very, very personal uh, and so on. And different industries um, will naturally uh, lean towards different levels of uh, personal relationship. So you can imagine an emergency services, military, law enforcement, the bonds between leaders and their followers can be very tight-knit and indeed need to be very tight-knit. You know, you need to have the highest level of trust that the person's got your back. Um, and that can lead to, you know, um, for leaders, especially leaders that start um, at the same level of other people in their organisation, for example, and get promoted, that can lead to them being um, adversely influenced by those people, you know. And you, so in the military, for example, what we would quite often do is if someone was going to be promoted, they'd be posted out of the unit that they were in into a new unit where nobody really knew them. And that gave them that separation um, of friendship so that you had to start building, you know, that friendship again or that, that uh, professional level of friendship again. Um, it, it also meant, though, because of the way the military trains its, its people, its leaders, it, it means that, that when you go into a new unit as a corporal, sergeant, captain, major, whatever, um, people know what your capability should be at a base level. So they understand that as a captain, you have these uh, qualifications and competencies, and there's an expectation that you can do the technical stuff. Then all they have to do is get to know you. Now, we don't have that so much in the civilian world. Quite often, you can be promoted within the same job. So one day you could be a friend with the person, and the next day you're their boss. Now, one of the things that I tell people is that it's actually important that the follower, the new follower, um, does the right thing by the leader and understands that, that whilst they have a connection, a friendship, a bond, they're not doing the right thing by their friend if they don't allow their friend to lead. Yeah, there's there's a there is an onus that goes on on both sides there. It's you know, in the military and in bigger companies, they got a friend who's run several Walmart distribution centers, worked regionally. A lot of times when you get promoted to that level, you're leaving to another place. And you're able to establish rapport and trust and build relationships, but that relationship is always with the person as the formal leader, as the GM or whatever that position is. But in a lot of companies, that's not an option. People don't have to like move to another city or to another building or to another department. And a lot of times, like when I got promoted to the police department to sergeant and then the chief, I'd worked with people for a long time. I was friends with people. I'd been in people's weddings. They'd been in my wedding. And having that professional line there is is so important. And one of the things that that I had done is I met with my close my closest friends because when I took over favoritism was one of the major issues was that you know we hold very high expectations and this commitment to excellence as a department but because of our friendship 
you know, we need to make sure that we are always holding the highest level of standards and integrity because it's just so easy for somebody to say, well, this happened because they're friends or they're allowed to do this because you're friends. And it's, it's a fine line and nobody was ever treated to too high of a line, but, but there was that upfront conversation and that boundary that was set. And because of that, we really didn't have many issues. What, what are your tips to leaders that found themselves in, in my same position? I think you really have to have that conversation that you're talking about. I think you really need to be um, upfront with, um, with, with your new followers um, that the situation has changed. Um, your friendship is still extremely important, um, but there will be times where you have to make decisions that are um, based on the greatest good of all and not you know, based on self-interest of any individual. And I also think that there's, there's probably the opposite issue that can occur in that I think leaders can think that they need to, to compensate for their friendship and therefore when the opportunity, for example, for a, a good project comes up that everybody's keen to do and, and, and the right person for that job might be that person that you have the close personal friendship with and there, there can be that thought in the back of your head that says, if I pick this person, everyone's going to think I'm doing it because it's a favour to them. And, and therefore, you may actually, um, you know, exercise what could otherwise be known as positive discrimination by removing that person from, you know, having a shot at that, at that project or opportunity. And, uh, and that's also not the right thing to do. So you really have to, I guess, be able to step back, reflect and make the best decision based on who is the right person for the job or whatever it is. Uh, and that can be a real challenge. It can. One of the things I've found to just keep self-awareness up is to have some mentors, both within the organization, but even more importantly, out of the organization. And then the importance of process, because if you have good process, if you you know, consistently issue letters of commendation for certain things. If you consistently follow an evaluation process, if there's a testing, if, you know, every time there's an opening for a promotion, you have good process and you have a little bit of a diverse interview committee, you can insulate yourself from some of those things. But I've also seen that as well. You know, it's funny, the police chief that I came in under, who was a good guy, um, when he got promoted to police chief, he had meetings with his three closest friends and they sat around his basement and they have a drink around this, um, exquisite train set apparently that he had this big collection and he said you know this is the last time we're going to be able to do this uh, because now I'm the boss and you know that old school mentality I don't think works real well and when you think about this this number the second R relate um you know that that'll destroy a relationship and we know in leadership relationships are are so important yeah absolutely it's very important that you still are able to relate to the team uh in a sense that demonstrates that you're just another team member yourself, mm -hmm. right? That you're just like the team so that you, you also demonstrate that there is a human side to you. So, you know, it's no good just transitioning uh, into being the leader who's now, you know, isolated, cold, the door is closed and all those sorts of things. You've still got to demonstrate that you're one of the team and that, um, that you have a human side. Um, but at the same time, you also have to be able to be, you know, firm when necessary. You have to be able to ensure that you you adhere to the all the required standards that 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 are expected. You know, so and 
it's almost like a, a an adult child relationship sometimes in that in that regard you know if everybody's um uh, playing along properly then there's no issue but when there is an issue you have to be able to um uh, step up and make that hard decision make that hard call but do it in a way that is still professional 100% takes a lot of courage i mean it takes that's, a lot of courage to step into that good boundaries solid boundaries um you know, and, and having the appropriate boundaries around these professional relationships. But I, I think a big takeaway is, you know, as, as leaders, when we get promoted to formal positions, we don't have to end relationships or friendships. We just got to set the right boundaries. And no matter if you were friends before or you weren't friends before, or if it's a new group, having strong, positive relationships and trust with our team members is an essential element of, of having a, a good team. So when we think about relates, I'll just recap it really quick making sure people know they matter. They matter as an individual, as a team. And when I when I hear that, I think about the word belonging. They feel included and accepted for who they are. They have significance. They're an important part of the team. When we value their contributions and their contributions matter, it means their job has purpose. There's meaning in their work. And, and so I think that, that those two things, belonging and meaning, are so important. And we talked about, you shared about growing confidence and self-belief you know, eliminating helplessness, that victim mentality, that helplessness is a very dangerous thing. A leader getting to know the whole person, that 21st century leadership model that we talk about a lot, understanding what motivates, what people's strengths, what weaknesses are, um, what they want to do more of on that on that personal level. So really like that. We can come back and, and tie anything up when we close off here. So the third of the three R's is run. Can you walk us through that? Well, I'll run you through it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Touche. So running the team is really all about leading the team in a way that sort of provides them uh, an intrinsic meaning, uh, as we've spoken about before, um, as to what the team is is there to do. What what are they doing? And it ties it all together and, and makes the, uh, the, the team a cohesive team. You know, it's not about simply uh, managing, you know, the, the day-to-day team tasks. It's about, you know, really running that team. And... Uh, and the way that you're on the team should really create unity and, and team identity and a sense of sort of collective agency, I guess, um, and a sense that, you know, together we can we can achieve whatever it is that we need to achieve. Right? So um, this is a belief that together we can do it. You know, we can, um, you know, uh, it can be very rewarding. It can inspire and motivate the team to even greater heights than what was originally expected or anticipated. So it's really important that everyone in the team feels included. And this also means, you know, during decision-making process. So um, this is how you get buy-in in, in decision-making. Um, so, you know, nowadays we talk about um, psychological safety quite a bit, thanks to, you know, Amy Edmondson and the great work that she's done. And I think it's really important um, to have that, that psychological safety and I think a really simple way to ensure that you do achieve psychological safety with your team is to, um, to, to use something that in the army, in Australia at least, um, what we call uh, contributory descent. So contributory descent is a, a concept where um, it's not that everybody can contribute, it's that everybody's expected to contribute. You know, they're expected to open up and discuss their views, you know, openly and frankly and to give that firm and frank advice to the leader so that the leader has all the best information possible so that they can make the best decision that they can. Um, and then as 
part of that, the, the, the leader is then responsible to, to wrap that all up and to make it so that I guess everybody in the group agrees with that decision in the end. And then once they've done that, everybody in the group must fully support and promote that decision as if it is their own, right? And that can be really, really hard to achieve because, and we spoke before about, you know, the challenge of self-interest. Um, you know, individuals will always have their self-interest, but they have to be able, be able to put that aside and understand that based on all the information that's been discussed, the leader has made a decision and that's the decision that they're going to take forward. And as far as anybody subordinate to them um, is aware, it is also their decision. Yeah, I, I refer to that as one voice leadership. I know. I, I'm, I was going to touch on that, that I've heard you use it. Well, it you know, that was one of the, the greatest issues. When you talk about running the team, providing intrinsic meaning to what and why we do things, right? And that really ties into the purpose I was just talking about and drives at home unity, this collective together, we can do it and taking that team to new heights. Like, I don't know how many times we've accomplished something that you're just blown away. Like, wow, we, we really did that. We took this to a whole nother level, but it, you know, people feel included. We give them a voice right? Uh, they, they feel significant. The psychological safety, I've never heard this term contributory dissent before, but one voice leadership just cannot be, be understated. I mean, we can have great vision. We can have good culture, good strategy, good, execu good execution. But if we don't have accountability and accountability to this principle that, that's under your contributory dissent, this one voice leadership, the entire thing falls down. The entire thing falls down and it, what it does is it destroys psychological safety because you get people at different levels who have different interactions with team members. And now team members got to choose, do I go with Tony or do I go with Danny? I was a little unsure about this directive Tony gave and Danny is as well. So we're just going to blow that off. We're not going to move in that direction and how incredibly dangerous that is. It was so important in 08 when I took over as police chief that there was actually an expectation statement that everybody signed about the confidentiality of leadership meetings for one, because those were being weaponized by people. And the second was one voice leadership. And the commitment was, unless it's an emergency situation where a decision has got to be made immediately, major decisions will run through this team and we'll take the input and get the voice of everybody and the decision that's made and ultimately, you know, made by the police chief will be owned by everybody moving forward. And for us, it was such a big deal and such a major problem that violation of either of those two expectations was a three-day suspension automatically. Like that's how big of a deal it was. Yeah. And we didn't have it. We didn't have the issue or problem. And the ship began to turn very, very quick. This whole running of the team and the way you brought this to life, I'm just in love with. Amazing stuff, Tony. Anything you want to add to the running of the team? Um, no, look, I, I, I was just reflecting on your story because I, I am aware of your your uh, your story and uh, and I, I can really understand I think we're talking about the exact same thing in that contributory dissent uh, and that one voice leadership um, you know I think they're they're just different terms I think the military and probably law enforcement uh, by nature of the of the the two types of uh, uh, of the work that they do um, are very similar in that way but I think that um, these aren't hardline things. These are things that can be softened for other industries and are yeah. still extremely valuable. And it really is the essence of 
of unity in in leadership. You know, uh, you can't you can't be pulling in different directions. Everybody's got to understand that there are many different ways to do things, but ultimately you have to pick one. And once you've picked one, everybody has to be on board with that. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you, to use a, a military analogy, you're digging holes in in the wrong places. Um, that, that's in reference to digging pits. Um, we also call it chasing ground, you know, always looking for a better position. Um, you know, at some point you have to make a decision and stick to it. I always caveat that though, make the right decision and stick to well, it. Well, the thing I love about your contributory descent and why I just kind of built on it with the story to drive that home is that it's not that everyone can contribute or everyone should contribute. Everybody has an opportunity to contribute. It's that everyone is expected to contribute. And it's founded in this belief that as leadership, we cannot make the very best decisions for our people, for our organization, for our customer, for our community, for our country, if we don't have all the best information. And if we're not getting that full contribution from our team, then, then why do we need the team? My, my, my big thing is surround your, put yourself in a room where you're the dumbest person in the room. Put yourself in a room where there's people so different from you. There's no way you could understand their experiences and perspectives without them sharing them with you. And that's how you create excellence. That's how you create great teams and winning cultures. And so when people have this, as you've walked through with this contributory descent, you can make the best decision possible. If anybody follows me on LinkedIn, they know that there's a post coming out about a contributory descent that I'll be <laughs> referencing you on from this podcast. So I really, really enjoy that concept and have learned something completely new today from you. So thank you for that. My pleasure. So we're sitting here talking with Tony Mackey. Tony came up through the military, came up through the Australian regular army. And, and a lot of his leadership was shaped in that way. He, he's been to the U.S. He's from Australia, our first guest from Australia. And, and it sounds like we have a lot of shared values and things that are important to us as people within our countries and beliefs about how we lead. And it was, I was so excited after, and I, I said to this at the beginning, I, I read this post from Tony. I immediately reached out and said, hey, I just read this post. Would you be interested in hopping on and you know maybe doing a podcast? He's like, yeah, and we jumped on and had a conversation. But I do think there's a lot we can learn from these kind of really high-level experiences. You just said this, that even though in the military or in policing, in, in public safety, you might be dealing with life or death things, um, you, you take these concepts and apply them across the organizations and they're transformational. It doesn't matter that you're not on the front lines in a battle or out on an active shooter incident or whatever. You you take these concepts and you put them through normal organizations. Like if they allow you to perform at your very best in the most stressful and dangerous and high liability situations, what do they do in everyday normal things? They completely and totally rock it. And I think you've done an incredible job of, of, bringing, of bringing that home. Do you have a call to action or something uh, that, that you want to leave our our leadership excellence community with? I'd like to, I'd like to just sort of finish up, I guess, by just really reiterating the power of this three R model. And uh, cause it really is a, a simple model to understand. And it's so powerful because of that. It's something that you can just constantly be asking yourself three quick key questions. You know, there are a couple of sub questions, but you can constantly, constantly be asking yourself, am I representing my team? You know, Inwardly, am I acting as a role model and supporting the team? Outwardly, am I promoting and championing the team? 
uh, you can ask yourself, am I relating to the team? You know, am I in touch with the team's fears and, and aspirations? Am I inspiring, motivating and encouraging the team? Um, and am I helping the team to grow and promoting mutual support and independence? And then finally, you know, am I running the team effectively? You know, does my leadership provide the required direction that the team needs? Um, does my leadership promote unity and agency within the team? And does my team feel safe to speak up? You know, they're sort of the key three, three uh, aspects of, the, or, of what the three R's are. I'd just also like to, to touch on something that I think is really important, which is about failure, okay? Because failure, being comfortable with failure is also something that's really important. But I really want to emphasise the fact that um, we've got to be careful that we don't normalise failure, though. When we, you know, when we say that we need to be comfortable with failure, teams will fail. Um, but teams will only fail if they haven't got all the resources, the or sorry, all the knowledge, the information, the resources, the training, and everything required. So you don't want to normalize it. It will happen eventually because you know we work in a VUCA environment, you know, volatile, complex, you know, a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Things will happen. You know, and you can't um, anticipate everything that can happen. But we shouldn't be normalising failure. We should be normalising success and accepting that failures can happen, right? That's just my little thing that I want to throw in there for teams because too often, you know, um, we see um, on social media, um, it's really easy to do a, a post on, you know, how important it is to fail. And I see these um, quite often and it's, it's like, no, it's important to accept that failure can happen. However, failure happens when there are gaps in knowledge, experience, training, and so on. And as a leader, it's our job to try to um, bridge those gaps so that the failures are contained to training and that operationally we, we strive and target success. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Adding more depth and in my mind to what I, the, the motto that we believe in and talk about all the time, that commitment to excellence. You know, when we step on the field, it's important to leave it all on the field, but it's a, it's important to to accomplish the goal that we're setting out to accomplish. And and I really like the way you've characterized that failure as a, you know, how do we minimize failure? It, failures can be a growth model. We don't want our people to be afraid to be creative or innovative, but failure can never be the norm of the standard. The norm of the standard is success. And we figure out how to overcome those challenges. And really when it comes down to it, I mean, the only way we fail is when we quit, right? Um, I think there's some more depth to that statement, but um, but I really, I really like you taking us there on the, on the way out of the, of the episode today. And I've really enjoyed these three R's represent, relate, run so much depth. When you went back and recap those, you did me a huge favor because I didn't need to go through my notes. And I'm like, <laughs> that'll be a perfect slide deck uh, with, with your name on it. When we, when we get this thing pushed out. So Tony Mackey from Australia, it's morning there. He's just getting up and going. It's afternoon here. Just finished the work day in Dixon, Illinois. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us on the leadership excellence podcast. Danny, it's been my absolute pleasure. Um, anytime that you uh, do manage to get yourself over to uh, Australia, down under, um, give me a call. We'll, uh, we'll catch up and we'll have a, a, a cold beverage. That would be great. I, I think we might have to partner up on some type of training, leadership development, 
uh, type joint venture. I would love to get to Australia. I know my wife would love to get there as well, but it would be great to sit and, you know, cheers a drink and, 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 and talk more. And, you know, there, there's so much to break down and to think about and reflect from this episode. And who knows, maybe we'll end up doing a follow-up and diving into another specific topic uh, to yeah, our I'd listeners. To oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please hit that like button, subscribe. Uh, if you're not following Tony Mackey on LinkedIn, if you're not following me on LinkedIn, please go do that right away. Constantly sharing uh, leadership information, strategy, mindset, motivation, ways to take you from where you are to where you want to be in your leadership journey. And remember, always be committed to excellence.